Bam. Here we go again. Bam Biz Talk, episode number two. Uh, we are here today in the Bam House with Mayor Javier Joven from Odessa, Texas. Welcome, Javier. How are you doing today? Man, I love that hype video right there. That hype sound. <laughs> That's how we need to be introduced at City Council. Yeah, there you go. And Everybody now, gets their own tune. Yeah. It's like walk-up music in a, in a major league field. That was yeah. great. That was great. Felt a little soul train right there. There you go. Hey, doing great this morning. Uh, you know, had my coffee, got to, got my water and uh, ready to get going. S- sitting here with BAM and let's talk small business. Small business talk. We love it because that's what BAM Biz Talk does, right? So we're here uh, too with uh, Michael Crane, BAM Business uh, uh, President for BAM Biz Hub. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Uh, I'm very excited about our mayor from Odessa here today. Um, I know he's got a lot of wisdom, knowledge as to what's going on um, here and around for small businesses. And uh, let's not forget, he's a small business owner himself. So uh, with that, a few questions about being a small business. Um, how long ago did you start? What kind of business do you have? How did, uh, how did you, it evolve? Uh, I'll just start with that. Well, it starts in the womb. You know, the thing is, everybody says, well, how do you get into small business? You're in small business from the day you were born, growing up in a, in a family, whether it's big or small. One of the things is, uh, and, and let me explain that and what I mean by that. I learned to be an entrepreneur simply because my mentor is my father, Jose Angel Hoven Jr., uh, born in Dorio, Texas, 1930. Uh, September 6th, he turned 92. I'm very blessed. And um, so my father, at a very young age, at 11 years old, wind up, uh, you know, comes from a family of 22. Migrant workers realized that he can make a penny a bushel or he can use the skills that he had of being bilingual in those early years. Now, remember, he was born in 1930. So you know what year I'm already talking about. And so he basically started doing this. He started uh, becoming an entrepreneur by gathering the workforce uh, and then um, contracting with uh, farmers and ranchers to be able to be able to uh, harvest their crops and realize that he can make a percentage on overall team versus, you know, just him laboring and sweat equity. Not that he didn't do it, but along along the way, wind up uh, organizing. And, you know, since he's 11, he couldn't drive the vehicles. So he had people that could, and he contracted them to be able to drive. And so those were the seeds that were planted in small business. The only way to be able for you to control one's destiny and to be able to go forward, uh, you know, in your family and generational is being in control of that. And he always preached, you know, small business, small business, you control the narrative. And when you go into small business, that's exactly what you're going to do. What you don't realize when you go into small business is that you're the one who's going to uh, work the hardest, get paid the least and get paid last. And the thing is, is that what you have to control here is if you don't get a handle of your schedule, the schedule will handle you. And so this is something that one of the things going in are some particulars that you you have to get mentoring from other people that, have, that are going through it. Everybody says, well, you know, went through that one time. You're always constantly doing that. You don't even have to be in small business for that schedule to control you. And so that's how. I wind up getting into it. I've been in and out. And I'll tell you, I've been in the in the workforce where I'm punching the clock. And that's a lot easier. 
And the thing is, is that do you love being controlling your narrative? And, and here's one thing that I always tell people is that whether you work for a small business or you are small business owners, you there's two mentalities of being in control of your narrative or, you know, your, your narrative being dictated to you. You have to have the mentality of ownership or you have the mentality of just punching the clock. And so you have, if you're an employee working for a company, that business and the success of that business is predicated on your mentality if you're taking an ownership position in the position in which you hold within that company. Because if you just go on, walk into those doors every single day, 40 hours a week with the mentality of what I'm going to benefit and take out of this business, then that business has a larger potential because of your, and that percentage is even greater dependent upon how many employees within that business. The smaller uh, workforce, the higher the percentage of that business failing for the reason is that you're looking to extract and, and not looking into investment and taking, because in what I mean by this is that you're an owner and how you're an owner is that that business success is dependent on your effort day in, day out. Do you do just enough to basically get by? One of the things that I learned in this new generation, let's talk about, you know, what's going on. You know, the, the, the big, you can call it the big quit, the big resignation. You know, there's a lot of people within our age demographic that realize we have worked very, very hard. And this pandemic opened our eyes, made us realize, hey, I like being home. I like being with my family. Why am, am I putting in an 80-hour work week in a four-hour, in a 40-hour work week? And so there was a big an adjustment. <laughs> And the thing is, but an adjustment with those two particular values still have to balance each other. And uh, and I think that's what, you know, that's what I'm facing as far as a small business. You know, one thing I noticed too as well is I've noticed money doesn't really matter anymore. It's more about time. How much time do I get at home? How much time do I get with my family? Uh, they're really looking at ways of balancing their life. Um, with, without taking the important time away from family to make that life work. Um, I don't know how they buy things with that attitude, honestly. Uh, I don't know how they get by without really putting themselves into the job to make things work uh, because that's a part about being able to be with family, isn't it? Uh, where you can afford to do things, take those vacations, have that alone time, go to the movies, have some sort of entertainment. I mean, the dollar's got to come from somewhere. No, it is true. And the thing is, is in, in, in my evaluation, one of the things that I that I realized that I had never been so so much at home as you know what happened in the in twenty. And in that realization, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make value of the time that I had. And so let me tell you, there wasn't a honeydew I didn't attack. In fact, I started creating honeydews. That's how I, I attacked it. But also I turned around and said, look, what, how do we take advantage of what we've learned? You know, now we have to be a whole new retraining. And you're absolutely right when it comes to what you said about the dollar. Prior to that and going forward after the pandemic, my self-evaluation is that I stopped going out a lot less. I can't remember the last time I was in the movie theater. I cut the cable. 
I was paying over $225 for channels I didn't even watch. I cut that. Uh, Stopped going to sporting events. Uh, I don't watch uh, any sports on TV at all. Um, Started reading more. So basically what I did is that I made an adjustment in my life, started doing things I really enjoy that doesn't have to be accredited with a high uh, value, meaning that I don't have to spend a fortune to entertain myself. I just have to find what I enjoy and gives me one solace and peace and two time with the family. I'm an empty nester now. At 57 years old, I'm an empty nester. Our house got quiet and our house got got way too big. And so then there's an evaluation is that, you know, you start making an inventory and assessment of what, where the innate value is. And that's what you have to do in a small business. You know, one of the things is, is uh, I have a friend of mine that uh, we've known each other since we're in the eighth grade. And he said this, you know, when you're looking at a business and you're looking to constantly grow and grow and grow, you know, the thing is, is that you've seen businesses die from constipation for the reason is that they're growing for the sake of growing, but is it healthy? You know, one of the things that we always value is that, you know, that, that gastral uh, situation within ourselves. And, uh, you can apply that also to a small, mid, and large business. I think in, in our in our business, uh, I think what we find the most is that growth is sometimes too early. Uh, they want to grow, and I, I get it. You know, I think we all want to grow as far as a business. But the thing is, there's got to be certain things in place to support that growth. Um, one thing that we have found, too, is when you're one product kind of guy, um, what happens is that you grow with that one product and then it becomes stale. And I always say it's like a marriage uh, with your clients. It should be new, fun, and exciting to keep the marriage going. Uh, I think one of the people that do that, one of the companies that do that well is Apple. Apple always comes out with something new every year. We always find those who like like Apple standing in line waiting for that new product because they're keeping it fresh, new, and exciting. Um, and I don't see any difference with uh, doing that with your clients. Um, if you're the same old, same old, why not uh, shop somewhere else? And maybe I find a better product or maybe more benefits to the product that I want versus being uh, stale. No, I, I agree. And I agree to a certain extent. And let me tell you why. Um, one of the things is, is that what Apple does and and anybody in this class is a cowboy fan. I'm about to hurt your feelings. Now, the thing is that I'm called a, a what, what is it, a Fairweather fan? Uh, well, let me tell you, I probably have read more about the Cowboys than a lot of people that uh, are saying that they're fanatical about it. And this is what I mean about this, is that what makes Apple successful when they roll out a new brand is they have an incredible uh, way of marketing that. Because basically it becomes a product I have to have. They've They've created an experience. They've created a culture behind that. Because one of the things is, is that oftentimes once they get the product, then you wind up having those that are very uh, tech savvy that basically start rolling out where are the issues. But yet they sell a billion dollars worth of, uh, of, of, of that widget. Now, let's go to McDonald's. 
Now, one of the things that they were said, why doesn't McDonald's go into other types of uh, extend their menu? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, the McDonald corporations in the real estate, in the real estate business. And a lot of people, if you know the, the, the foundation of that company, you know exactly what I mean. The entrepreneur that buys a franchise is in the restaurant business. And one thing that the philosophy of the founder has said is that why don't we expand further than what we do is because until we be able to be consistently in, in the restaurant business, and especially this, we have to be consistent where we are 100% in control of the cleanliness of our bathrooms. Once we achieve that, then we're in the position to move to a, another product. So if you're going to grow and you're saying, hey, what 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 is what is hurting me? I said, OK, look at the one thing that you basically based your business on, whether it's a widget, a service product. Make sure that you have achieved everything you can with that one widget product and service. Once you're assured that, hey, this is going, this is consistent day in, day out, 365, year after year after year, then I'll say, okay, now we can break off and now we can either absorb or create, but not at the expense of what your foundation is. And so this is a, a, a an investment you need to make within yourself when you're looking at whatever it is that you want to go into and what is it that you're doing now. You take an inventory or you make an assessment and say, look, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do it exceptionally well. One of the things I always tell my wife when we go into these box stores, whether it's home improvement, everybody's a home improvement warrior on the weekend. And so the thing is, is that I walk around aimlessly in the store and say, why don't you ask someone? I said, you still believe in customer service. And it is something that has gone by the wayside. And he goes, and let me prove this to you. And I'll walk up and I'll ask someone about a product and they'll look aimlessly. Well, I'm not sure or I don't know. You know, there was a concept and I'm not going to name any names, but there's a concept of a box store that does a lot of uh, construction materials, home improvement, things of that nature. And people may not realize, but the concept was, is the employees that were going to be hired had a an experience or were related to those products that were too associated with the trade, whether it was indoor, outdoor, on top of the roof, uh, in the lawn, things of that nature. And so they would have some type of knowledge. You know, if you go in there and you're asking for uh, a certain type of a PVC, if you're looking for a tear or an elbow. And so you would be able to be assisted. Does that exist anymore? Um, you know, the thing is, is that when you walk in and, and, and I'm, here's a good example this morning, I go in there and I get my coffee. And in this one particular business, we have a coin shortage. So if you look and you walk in and you're going into a business, uh, whether it's a franchise or individual, you're in the, in the service of food product and you're uh, exchanging money. Oftentimes you see the individual on the other side who is running that register, it's pushing, pushing pictures, 
but you'll confuse them by giving them folded money and coins so you can get folded money and you're rounding up. And all of a sudden you just close their world. It's not that individual's fault. What has happened is that we have failed to teach the basics and businesses are suffering for it. Now you're seeing businesses are uh, are addressing this issue by creating their own type of uh, way to train their uh, their associates to be able to address those issues. So once again, it goes back to the, the basic things. Do you have control and complete understanding of what it is that you are providing in your business? Even as an owner, because we all get complacent. So you constantly have to be an inventory yourself. Are we doing what we set out to do? It's even in a task. You could be in a job for 20 years and you've been doing this task in this position forever and ever. It doesn't mean you're doing it right. Does not mean you're doing it right. You're just, you've become repetitive. And that's why training is oftentimes uh, necessary in, in less than a six month interval. People don't like it, but the thing is, is that, you know, technology, methods of delivery, methods of receiving, uh, you know, that delivery is constantly evolving. Are you keeping up with what people are wanting? And you sometimes you can associate uh, a fall of sales or business uh, uh, constipation because you don't evaluate little small things. And so it's, it's real critical. And, and so let me get to the Dallas Cowboy part. There we go. My first game in, 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 as Dallas Cowboy was 1976. Roger Staubach was the quarterback. Rookie running back was uh, Tony Dorsett. The center was uh, uh, Fitzgerald, uh, middle linebacker. Uh, Lero, you know, he had Leroy Jordan, Diddy, uh, Diddy Lewis. Uh, and I mean, you, I can go on and on and on. I said, here's my point. The thing is, is that America's team is American team because of the, you know, at that time it was because of the method and how they won of the people they put on the field. And so the thing is the product backed up the marketing. Now the marketing has surpassed the product on the field. And so the thing is, is that Mr. Jones is an incredible marketer, promoter, and he has created so much value in that star that has been incredible. But does the talent and the winning match that? What he does is there's two things. A sports team does one thing in a community and in every year when before that kickoff, everyone starts zero zero. So when people buy that ticket and they're cheering on their team, what they're selling is hope. And no one sells hope better than Jerry Jones. I agree. And in the end, we're always, there's always next year. You see what I mean? And we're always on the same band. And it's been over 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Man. You know what I mean? It's happening this year. I mean, let me tell you one thing. There are not enough candles. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's true. I, I think that's a really good point that, um, you know, how you relate that to to businesses, right? And your growth and what, what your value is, right? You can have value, but are you, it, what's your message, right? And if, are you promoting the right value or, you know, what, what is it that your business offers to your customer specifically? What value is that? You know, and then sometimes if, if you're, if you are pushing that value, but that value really isn't there, 
right? Then, you know, that's what a business really is in trouble. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's like my dad started a roofing company and back to 1972. And so roofing companies all over the place. What do you need to start a roofing company? Just a business card and a phone number and just go out there and say, hi, do roofing. And that's basically it. And so everybody does it. And what you've seen, the, the, the issue now today is labor. Uh, finding someone that knows how to how, how to put them on and the cost just keeps going up, you know, so you have high co- uh, material cost availability. And the thing is, is that what has happened is that you have sales going down for one reason, one reason only is that people say, look, I can't afford to replace it. And nobody ever thinks about their roofs. And so the thing is, is that you're, when you're in the roofing company, you're really not in the roofing company. You're, you're into what, this is what I say when, you know, when it comes to business and in the roofing company that I have, we have a roofing company, we have a construction company, we have a framing company, we have a cutter company, we have a painting company. Well, we just, we just do it all. We shoot at everything that flies and we'll claim anything that falls. And, uh, and so. You know, that reminds me, it's like the old saying, an entrepreneur can jump off a cliff and assemble an airplane before he hits the ground. Yep. And that really uh, speaks highly of how many options that you provide your company to ensure some sort of revenue streams uh, that are coming in to safeguard your your operation. You have to do at any at any at whatever it is the cost. The relationships you have to constantly build and find others. You know, and this is one of the things is when you when you're a small business, you join all the uh, auxiliary uh, organizations that are out there. They're saying, "Hey, we're going to help you. We're going to help small business. Well, what are we doing?" And so you have to be able to say when you're buying that, you're buying networking. And when you have networking, well, who is it that you're talking to? When you're networking, you know, you can go to openings, you can be social. But the thing is, is that do you have, are you networking and you're networking properly? You have to understand who you're networking with. So, you know, the thing is, this is, these are not trade secrets. It's understanding relationships and the circle you keep. You have the, 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 that relationship has to be beneficial and has to go both ways. And in this, and you know, in, in every industry is unique unto itself. You know, for for myself as a mayor, uh, going to um, chamber events like the one I would be here with the Midland Chamber is beneficial because I'm sitting there with uh, leaders of uh, large companies. Organizations, uh, other 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 elected officials, city officials, state officials, so that's that benefit to that. If I walk in there with my roofing business, you think I'm going to walk away with one content that's going to benefit you know my business? No. Well, benefit me is going down to breakfast, where I know where all the contractors are and having a cigarette or having coffee, and sit there and network there and they say well what do you got going or what do you got going hey you know i've got this job going hey you know what and that's so the thing is not net all networking is not equal so one of the things is that we have small businesses struggle when they're getting off how do i get my message out big businesses have the same the, the, the same thing too you know i was talking to a gentleman last night that's invested over 22 million dollars in uh, in his brought and he's a developer and he doesn't advertise and people say, why don't you advertise why do you do this why do you build to a higher scale why don't you just do the minimum so the thing is is everybody thinks that you know the issues of a small business the bigger business don't have those issues they, they have it they have it resolved oh they don't you know the thing is is that 
you know, the higher amount of money you're putting out there into capital to be able to build or to provide a service, the higher debt you have. And here's the one, the one of the biggest secrets that, that nobody ever talks. And this is what I ask. How much money do you have on the street? Whether you're a bigger business, a multi-million dollar business, a multi-billion dollar business, or you're dealing with thousands of dollars, you're constantly chasing money. You're working with someone else's money. They're working with your money. And so it's a circle that's constantly there. And so the thing is, is that what I ask is I'm struggling. I'm struggling with uh, liquidity. Uh, I've got debt. I said, okay, so let me ask you, what is your collection uh, policy? What the, who, who handles your collection in that department? Well, I do. Well, you're the owner. Yeah. What else do you have on your plate? Well, I have this and I have this and I have this and I have that and I have this. And so one of the things is that when, you know, me and my wife and I've really been trying to push her to start a business and in, 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 as a consultant for small, mid and, and larger businesses and how to uh, she's created a program of how you do collections and it's effective and her percentages are higher. And so this is something that uh, I really urge you to do it. I, I, I use her uh, and it works. In fact, uh, I've had other small businesses um, that basically we've helped without, you know, charging them anything. You know, my wife does a lot of collections. Uh, unfortunately, it's out of my pocket, but I would never want to argue with a woman about money. And uh, I always love to give to her whenever she needs it. But I always think to myself, not only does she collect it really well, but she negotiates while she's doing it. Um, and I can't help it with the years that I've been with her. She's really nailed me down <laughs> to the point where she's got full advantage of that. Well, the thing is what she's figured out real quickly is that you can call an office, but what you've got to find out is you've got to know who is handling the payables. Okay. And so, and so let me help you in, the, in this situation. What I mean by this, um, I've seen a lot of companies, uh, and in fact, a company that I, I was a contractor with, uh, I had a field oil service company that I sold and uh, I did that so I can, you know, have time to be able to be mayor. And so I did very well. I was very fortunate. Uh, the timing was just impeccable and my timing to get out was also impeccable. Uh, you know, when I saw the big boys saying, hey, look, we've got something coming. And I said, that's time to bail. And it, it was a chance. You know, I was betting that, you know, we we're going to see a downturn. Uh, I saw the political climate. I had an offer and I took it. I didn't negotiate. I took it. Now, look in hindsight, man, that was that was a move. I said, you know what? I got lucky. I I. I trust me, there was, there was a huge percentage of my making a big mistake. You know, if I sell out, you know, it cost me so much more to get back in. I was lucky. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit there saying that I'm a genius, but it's just my gun instinct was saying it's time to get out. You've maxed out. Just get out. And so they'd really helped me. And uh, and so in this and this is what I mean, the, the the company I was working with came into a situation where over the course of 10 years, they had $11 million that was uncollectible uh, revenue. Uh, these were invoices they had out there. How many times have you had companies, small and big, that will go in there and sell their contracts? 
You know what I mean? And so what they'll do is they'll pay, um, you know, 25 cents, 35 cents on the dollar. And, uh, and that's what they'll get and they'll sell it. And then, you know, these, you know, these guys that go in there and, and, you know, they'll collect it or they'll get it out of your account. Saw a lot of that. And so, and each of these companies never had a policy of how you collect. And it is a real simple process, but you have to dedicate someone. You know, even at home, you know, you know what you owe. You know, you 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 have a fund balance sheet at home. You have payables at home. And so, and in the business, it's even more so. So the thing is, is that you get those collection notices. You get those people calling you on the phone. You're not going to react to threats. You're going you're gonna to react to threats. You're going to act intimidations. And what you're going to wind up doing is that, you know, you're not even going to have a conversation. But if you create a policy and a flow chart of who you contact, when you contact them, find out who does the payables, understand that they're dealing the same situation you're dealing with, they are going to pay and you find a way and a methodology to be able to do that. And you catalog that and you have a consistent call schedule and contact schedule a weekly, then your percentages of being able to get paid go up. But you also understand that, you know, because as you're collecting, you're also paying. And so there's that balance. You that is just as important as, as when you are out there selling. And so the thing is, is that you have to uh, there is no school. There is no class that exists to be able to teach that. And it's something that you have to learn and you learn it as uh, as you go on and you find well, things that that help. And so this is something that, you know, I really encourage my wife to be able to do. And yeah, she goes, yeah, I mean, she's so busy. And she goes, yeah, that's that's all I need is something else to do on here. And so the thing is, is that, you know, I've, I've helped individuals, you know, to sit there and, and teach them. You know, we know people uh, that uh, I've talked to that are elected officials that are small business. Because what happens here, we spend so much time doing this. Oftentimes our businesses suffer. And so sometimes we have to claw back from our public life and get back right into the small business for the reason is because we've, uh, it's a relationship. You know, sometimes, you know, marriages wind up crumbling because of the business. The thing is, is that you're in a relationship. A business is like a child. It's like a marriage. It's like a spouse. You have to uh, cater to it. You have to pay attention to it. You have to be dedicated to it. And it's, it's 24 7, 365. That's what I always mean about manage your schedule, schedule manages you. But it it cannot be neglected. No, I always say it's dedication for perfection. So, uh, you know, there's not a time that you just push to the side and think it's going to be okay, even if it's a couple of days. I find out it's just much like working out. If you don't work out every day, the days that you miss and go back to the gym, you're hurting more than what you were if you'd have done it every day. And I find that to be the same in business. If I'm ahead of my game, I'm doing it every day. I know what's coming up. I take away from the game and I leave the game. The other the other uh, uh, opponent has uh, scored on me several times because I wasn't in there in the game. So I agree. It's uh, it's one of those things you really need to pay attention to. Well, you know, one of the things that, not, that I've learned um, you know, in all these years, what, what I wind up doing is um, I wind up opening uh, A1 Roofing and Construction. My dad was A1 Roofing and Framing. 
And then I wind up buying his name out. And uh, because the framing has uh, recognition, has it's a brand. And, uh, you know, the, the, the quality is in our work. And so, and, and that company has always been known for that. And so it, it's, it is invaluable to me uh, also with an existing uh, landline number. Uh, it's recognized. You know, one of the things they always go back when you have a storm, you go back into, okay, how long have they been here? Uh, and so you can see that we've been in, in, in the Permian Basin since 1972. What I don't do anymore, because I refuse to do, it, is that we did a lot of storm chasing. We did a lot of military projects. We, do, we did a lot of government projects. We did a lot of small business minority set-asides. And it's something I don't want to ever want to go back into. And uh, so the thing is that we just work out in the uh, in the uh, in the free market. Uh, we're doing mostly just residential. Uh, you know, we have those roofing companies that will do both or just don't want to do residential, do the commercial. Either way, each each trade, each discipline has is uh, pros and cons. And the thing is, is that, you know, I've, we, set, we, we, we found a, a niche where we have this amount, amount of, uh, of revenue coming in versus payable, stuff like that. And so uh, it works for us. You know, when I was younger and I was working for my dad, I just didn't understand. I wanted to just be big, bigger, the bigger, the bigger, the bigger, the bigger. And uh, so, you know, it was me that was so ambitious that we wind up doing we we, we got on with uh, Bobby Cox company so we did all the roses we did all the blockbusters we did all the uh, the major uh, um, shopping centers I mean they had it we did it then we moved on to uh, government uh, projects we did uh, you know hangars we did housing projects on military bases we did federal prisons I mean I could go on and on and on and with all that, what well, a lot, a lot of headaches. You know, you money went out faster than they came in, and so I wind up finding myself I was spending more on that than I was the actual work. And then I had to hire more people, and then I had to make sure I had to stay on them to make sure the quality stayed up. And uh, and we tell you, you start wearing a lot of hats. And so that's why I was, you know, that's why I always sit there and I said, be careful. I said, you know, and there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with goals. But you do understand is that, you know, a company can die from constipation. And uh, and so as we did that for years and years and years, it was it was a drain. And it was it was hard work to keep it up, maintain it, because you're always constantly looking two, three, four, five. You're always looking at that at that uh, money flow, that flow chart. It is critical. Because the reason is that you have a lot of people dependent on it. Let me tell you, when you're when you're doing payroll and you're signing those payroll checks, you know, let me tell you, every two weeks feels like every two hours. You know, turn around and say, it's payroll again. I said, didn't we just pay them yesterday? He goes, that was two weeks ago. Man, it felt like we just paid the payroll yesterday. You know, I've got friends that are, you know, their payroll is, let me tell you, I've got, I've got one buddy who's in the trucking business, man. His, his payroll is, is, is a million a month. You know, and so and everybody's old. Dang, he must be making money. Let me tell you one thing: those those percent, those profit percentages are small. When you have that kind of liability, because you see, everybody says that's a lot of revenue. That's a lot of bit. When I when I look at it, I look at liability from an insurance standpoint. You have a lot of uh, souls out there 
on the road, very dangerous roads, and there's a liability. You know, as a business owner, when you come up against adversity, and you will have adversity, and sometimes it's multiple times throughout one day, and sometimes it it, it spans from one adversity to the other. But, but nonetheless, it's true. It will happen. It's going to happen. It's yeah. not an if. It's just a matter of when. when. Will it overwhelm you? It tests you. The, 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 the situation cannot overwhelm. You have to be clear-headed and know what to do. There's always a solution. You can resolve it one way or another. Uh, but the thing is, is that if you can't, you have to be a gambler. You have to be a risk taker. You have to be a prophet. You have to have a crystal ball. You have to be a counselor. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. A mother and, on. and a father. Yeah. Yes. And so, and if you're ready to do that, okay, if you're ready to do that, then then you start taking the first steps. I, I think I want to do this. And, and the self-rewarding is then to be able to sit there and say, look, I built something, but you didn't do it alone. You have to have great people around you. You have to develop a relationship. You have to look at people as partners, not as uh, associates or employees. But the thing is, is that when you're in the hiring process, you can be evaluating uh, job skills. Those can be taught. The thing is, is you have to try. And if you're if you're in a position where you can evaluate that this person, you know, their characteristics fit your model of what your dream is, because you're not going to hand over your dream. You just want a partner that's going to help you in placing bricks and building, you know, that dream. And uh, because let me tell you, if you hand over your dream and you have someone else build it, when it comes back, you're not going to recognize it. You know, I find that too, to be very important, even in today. I noticed that uh, one thing for sure, you get people involved with the business. They don't realize that they're just as important as the product. Um, they represent the company and for them to, con to continuously be employed, uh, that product's got to go out the door. So trust becomes a huge deal, I think, uh, when owning a business. Uh, not only does your employees got to trust you with the right decisions you're going to make to ensure that they're going to be employed, um, but the employees have got to understand, too, that whatever decision that's made up the line is really in, 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 in trying to save the company or move the company forward, that they do play an important part to make that happen. Um, so I, I really see the I trust that needs to really take place between owner and employee. Uh, the other thing I see that's happening that's not really readily available is maybe some sort of incentives to move up that ladder, rather it be education, training. Um, you know, money is not everything. And I think we've explained that coming out here in the very beginning of this. But to be recognized that they did a good job. Uh, let them know that, hey, look, I really appreciate your your uh, your devotion and making this go out the door the way you did. And let them know that you recognize that accomplishment or that achievement um, and don't let it go uncovered. Yeah, I really think that those are good points, because when, <clears throat> you know, employee takes ownership. Right. Or just let's not even call an employee. OK, when when a person is on a job, a duty, a project, right? Taking ownership of that project is, is more of an internal thing. So when you do, when the small business owner hiring, you know, they get resumes. Okay. 
this resume looks good. Okay, this it looks good, looks good. But how many times does that resume match up with the character of the individual that's behind that resume? Right. So how, how do you how do you hire that? So, of course, OK, you meet one on one. So anybody can fake anything for a little while. Right. So what, what is it that that a business owner should get to, uh, you know, to the point of where they, they are hiring a character who, OK, maybe they don't have the skills necessary for that certain position. But if they have the character, I guarantee they can learn that those skills. Like you were saying, <clears throat> another point I wanted to bring up, you said earlier, uh, when you, you know, got out with, with, you got lucky, good timing, you know, intuition, right? So small business owners, you know, I know me and Michael do this a lot, but we go a lot off intuition and then we, we, you know, kind of develop how we're going to make that happen. Right. So, you know, start with, okay, taking action because our intuition says go, Right. You know, like it did jump, jump. Okay. Now let's assemble that airplane. Right. So it's, it's a lot of trust that goes into that because trust in yourself that you can make it happen. Trust in who you're going to employ on your team to help you make that happen. You know, and now you're putting something together as a business owner, as an entity that can grow in a healthy way. Right. Cause what you consume consumes you. Right. So you're saying earlier, like, you know, if you put, you know, if you, you you're consuming healthy, you'll be more healthy. Right. You know, if you, you take care of your gut, your guts working with your with your blood that's going through the rest of the system and your overall uh, optimal um, productivity uh, is enhanced. No, that's true. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, and the thing is, is, that, you know, we make it sound easy. That's It's a really difficult part to put a good team together, Absolutely. putting one together and then keeping it is even harder for the reason is that, you know, the thing is, is that um, people always constantly want to improve. Nobody ever has the same uh, uh, type of work ethic that you do or, uh, or view. Everybody has a view through a prism and they're, and everybody's prism uh, is unique onto themselves. Uh, you know, people have a prism of color, have uh, some have a, a prism of fear. Uh, some have a prism as you know, they, they, they world, uh, they view the world as you owe me. I mean, so it goes on and on and on and on. And so, you know, one thing is that I sat there and I, and when I was younger and I real and I, and, and I took an inventory of some of the people that my dad would hire. And so uh, there was always issues of, uh, you know, uh, of consumption or things of that nature. And I'm, and I made reference that to my father, you know, why do we do that? Why do you hire people that, you know, sometimes they're when they wake up and they come to work, you know, uh, you know, you can see they had bound bottle flu on a constituent basis. And I remember my father sitting there and saying, and says, look, you know, if, if I set that standard to everyone I hired and most, most likely I'm not going to have anybody I can hire. I said, so, you know, why do you think I'm here all the time? You know, and, and, and because, you know, as me and my brother grew up and we took control more of the field operation, we wanted our dad to concentrate more on the marketing and selling the company so we could have the continual work. And uh, he had a hard time letting go and letting that trust go because he didn't feel that. He, he didn't feel at that time that we were at that point where we were going to deliver 100% that product with quality. 
And the thing is, I don't think he ever got there. And so it's something that we always constantly, me and my brother really strived on that, that we knew that's what made us unique. But, you know, it, it, it's like being on a horse. And, and and this is hard for, for an owner, is that uh, how do you handle the reins? Yeah, you know, go. too loose, the horse runs wild on you. Pull too tight, it'll buck on you. You know, you have to understand the situation. You understand who you're working with. It's, it, it, it is a relationship. What a great analogy. Yeah, it really is. I want to use that if you don't mind. I think that's well said. Um, and that's a lot of things that are missed. Is that an entrepreneur doesn't understand when to pull back on the rings, when to let it go. Um, and then, you know, the more important part, too, I think, is the idea of letting the employee even be creative and, and believing in that creativity that maybe creates opportunity for the company. Um, you know, I'd like to switch gears here and let's talk about your town, our city, Odessa. Uh, what's it offering for uh, small businesses? What's going on downtown? How do small businesses get involved? Um you know, I, I think the greatest thing about uh, our entrepreneurial certification program with Odessa College, uh, it's been uh, received really well. Uh, I like to be able to tell the class the opportunities that they have in Odessa and, and maybe uh, the idea of how you can maybe get implanted and start seeding yourself within the Odessa community as a business. Well, the thing is you're already in Odessa, so you're already uh, planted. Now the thing is, is now how you do is you're going to water it. Then once you water it, then you have to, uh, it ferments and you have to nurture it. And so you, you already taken that one basic step, you know, you have to make a decision of what your end goal is. And then you have to uh, take an inventory of what success means to you. And, uh, and, and, and this will relate to where you want to be. If you want to have a physical um, location, let, let, let's, let's, let's take, for instance, there's, there's a company there, husband and wife, and they are selling a um, clothing and very high-end clothing. And so they found a location, they found a high uh, traffic count. And so um, tried to help them. Uh, so what they wind up doing is they took advantage of the facade uh, program throughout the city uh, that through downtown uh, incorporated is a department of the city where they were able to uh, do a rehab because basically what uh, city of Odessa is trying to do is revitalize downtown. So it's making uh, economic development dollars available for a rehab of older buildings. And so, you know, there, 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 there are tiers uh, that, that, and there are, you know, strict uh, uh, specifics of how you qualify that. But it, 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 you can't tear down and build new and get money. It has to be a, a, a rehab of a facility. And so these are pro properties that are on the tax rolls. And so, but you have to understand the overall thing of what you're selling, where you're selling it. Because the thing is, everybody says location, location, location. What you also understand is it's not just high traffic counts. What they didn't understand and when they located there is that they were creating a, an apparel type of department store and understand your market and who you're selling to. And so how do you convince people on a high traffic road 
that is not used to going to buy apparel on that road to all not all of a sudden start. How do you create that foot traffic? You have an established business down there that has capital and money flow. And every time there's an event, they bring foot traffic to that downtown area. But it doesn't benefit them because it, it is not the type of foot traffic that's conducive to what they're selling. And so the thing is, is that, you know, coming to downtown isn't just a matter of, oh, I want to go to downtown because, you know, it, it's, it's like this assessment is what brings a grocery store to a neighborhood? Well, you got to have rooftops without rooftops. If you don't have rooftops, no one's going to go to a convenience store or a, a grocery store because there's no need for it. And so you have the neighborhoods first and then they, after they get to a certain point of, uh, of occupation in that particular thing, those are the numbers that those developers see. OK, they need a grocery store there. Yeah. And so the thing is, is it, it's it's not just a, you, you really have to make an assessment of uh, of any of that before and, and then make a decision of if you physically need a presence in that city. That's how, those are the those are the first factors you have to take into consideration. I think one of the things here that we're really uh, talking about as well is do your homework. Uh, know who your customer is. What's that customer look like? Um, zero in on the target audience. Uh, make sure that you have a product fit to the demand. Um, without those, you really don't have a demand and you really don't have a target customer. Yeah. So uh, good words of wisdom there that we, we really need to do our homework before you even think about opening Absolutely. up the door or even looking at where you're going to place your business. Uh, and like, uh, like you had mentioned, it's not about just the traffic. It's about how close are you to the customer. Even if it's mobile, you know, one of the things is, is a good example is, uh, uh, you know, these food trucks, you know, not every location is optimal. You know, when you have, um, we have people running, you know, for office in my, in, in my case, but let's look at the political signs. You know, they dot the community uh, when the uh, political season, you know, every here in Midland, every community, you're going to see those. So those are advertisement ads, marketing. And so in a small little space, whether it's a four by four or a small yard sign, first you get a name. You get the name of the person and it's the candidate or an office holder. And so that person has to make a decision. Do they want them to focus on the first name or the second name? And if you see in some, uh, in some areas throughout the state and the nation, they use visual. They'll use visual art. You'll see a picture. So first of all, you have to identify the individual. Second, you have to uh, identify what that person, who they are. Are they a candidate? Are they running? Or are they an office holder? And then two, they have to also uh, uh, basically advertise and communicate to their customer base of what entity or what their business, what that foundation, what that brick mortar is that they are trying to a job that they're applying, applying to. And then they have to convey when is the time to be able to go in there and be able to receive, you know, that, that, that customer to go in and make that purchase. And that is a vote. And so that is all conveyed in a four by four or as a yard sign. 
that's just the beginning. That's basically the base, the basics of advertisement. And then that's the type of approach you have to take into what you're selling, where you're locating. And this is these, these are the things you have to uh, basically communicate. Brand development. Well, yeah. yeah. And there's the other side of that, too, where you're actually creating brand awareness. Mm-hmm. Then you're creating a brand message. And then you're turning around and creating the brand equity, which, again, goes back to the vote. So it's really important on how you position yourself on that small little billboard. And it's no different than really when you look at a shelf full of barbecue sauce. I mean, everybody has a has a logo or something on the front of that. But there's got to be something that draws your eye to it. I think that's a good point. And, and what do you when you're looking at that, uh, you know, and that's a good analogy right there in the barbecue. When you look at it and you look at shelves and shelves and lines and lines. And so all of a sudden your memory bank, your computer, you, you know, the, the dust comes off. And you start you start visualizing what you saw prior. Do you recognize that? And not only that, it's even appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, why you see these bright little colors and things like that, it's appeal to on the shelf, location, location, location. We all come in different sizes, correct? All different widths, heights, things of that nature. So the thing is, is that we're going to concentrate eye level. If you're up on top, you know, above six foot, you're not looking up. And if you're going to have to make effort just to go up there and pick it, you're not going to do it too. You're not going to bend down. And so if you have to bend down where your knees have to, uh, uh, you have to bend your knees, you're not going to pick it up. You're just going to reach straight out. So the thing is, is that you have to, if you're going to be on the shelf in a supermarket, you have to be straight eye level and because your, your, your sales going to be optimized. That's also, you know, that's why it goes about location. And so these are all little factors that you have to be able to take in consideration. How do you learn that? You have to talk to people. You know, the thing, and, and here's here's the biggest thing, and I think everybody will, will agree with this, is that what is a small business? You know, because one of the things is, is that in, in this morning we were having the discussion is we're having the discussion where you basically said um, where there was some communication where they wanted to put a cap on uh, natural gas from Russia. Now, this is a communist leader saying that was the dumbest idea he's ever heard. It's like going into the grocery store and you got all your groceries and you're going to check out and then all of a sudden you see something's can't go, oh, no, no, I'm not paying that price. Well, you're not going to negotiate with the cashier. The cashier's job is not there to negotiate price. The cashier is just a scan and, and, and sack. Price is the price. Small businesses, oftentimes, you'll have people that want to negotiate and haggle with a small business on their services. This is one of the biggest things you're going to face. You do it once, you'll be doing it going on now. So the thing is, is that, you know, the thing is, is that if you have a service and somebody wants to negotiate price, now you become a stockbroker because now you're selling futures and they're buying futures. You have to have uh, value on both sides. But also, if you are a retailer or you're selling a widget, then what you have to do is you have to basically, uh, you know, name brand and 
people will buy value. And so you have to, that's why it's real crucial that you establish that. Once you do that, no one's going to haggle your price. Right. And, and yeah, go ahead. And I agree with that. You know, I, we always teach that, you know, you're one of two people. Either you're a cost-driven business, which means your quality is low, your cost is low to invite people to buy your product. And a lot of times I'll do that when they enter into the market. Um, typically what we preach here is the idea that you go in with value driven price, which is a high price and maybe discount it to, to demonstrate the quality is still there, but the price is good for my entry level of penetrating the market. Um, and you know, the idea behind that is, is that really it's a strategy to bring your competition up to where you are. And so you can then drop your price to where you need to be to uh, extract some of their customers and, and wind up disrupting the market. You know, my dad always said this, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, what drives the cost of what we're doing? I said, well, one, um, materials, availability, uh, the, the, the cost of fuel, the cost of uh, disposal and, uh, and delivery. And also, you know, the, the, you have to competitive wages and then you have profit margins, then you have taxes. And so where do you have flexibility with your profit margins? Are you willing to take less? You can cut back less if you have volume. And if you don't have volume, then your prices go up. And so right there, and, 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 this, and this is what he taught me. You constantly have to evaluate for the reason is this. He goes, if we're getting all the jobs, every time we bid and we get it, that means we're too low. You know, and so as I looked at, so well, is that a is that a good thing? Well, not necessarily. You know, because the thing is, is that um, what's probably happened: the market has shifted, prices have shifted, and we uh, are, are are making less profit. And so you always have to be on top of that. If you're not getting any of the prices, if you're not getting any of the jobs, then we're too high. So what has to happen is you have to find that uh, that even keel in the middle. You know, so out of Every 10 jobs you're bidding, what is your percentage? And that's where you have to work in. And so you constantly, constantly are always doing that. And, 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 and now that's not to sit there and say that is, that's something you apply across the board in all small business. And let me give you an example. So if you go into a, uh, a box store and you see name brands and you know what those name brands, if it's a swoosh, if it's this and that, they've established that name brand. You know, when you see that name brand, you, you, you associate whatever it is you associate with, whether I want to be like Mike <laughs> or, or just do it and whatever it is you do. And so you're going to pay that price and you're not even going to question it. But if you see a brand that you have that you see that is a knockoff of that swoosh, then you're not going to pay that sticker price that they are because you associate, oh, that's that sub quality. You see what I'm saying? And so this is something you have to determine in whatever it is that you're doing, your services, your products, your locations. It's, it all comes down to every segment of your business is a form of branding, even yourself, Absolutely. even yourself. I, you know, I, I, I say this. I really, and, and I know you'll relate to this. I see myself as one of the greatest salesmen that's ever lived. And, and, and this is how this is how I prove it. I've been married 
for 40 consecutive years to the same lucky woman. Congratulations. And, for and, sure. and, and why I say that is that she's figured out a long time ago that I'm not that guy I sold myself to, <laughs> to her 40 years ago. And she's still stuck around for 40 years and she's still there. And so the thing is, is that, you know, dating is selling. You're putting on your best. But after a while, they, they figure out you're not that guy. <laughs> and so the thing is, it's it's being consistent. It's constantly rebranding yourself. It's doing the things that keeps you uh, being successful. You know, and that's why I say keep it new, keep it fresh, keep it exciting. It's longevity. So I really believe in that. It's worked in my marriage. It's worked in a lot of my companies and customers. Um stops the stagnation of, if you will. And it really promotes the, uh, the, um, the newness. If you, if you, if you're looking for something that's fresh, uh, that's what it's actually promoting. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, you can make this as complicated as you want and you can read all the self-help books. I mean, that's why it's, it's a whole industry, leadership, uh, how to books, um, you know, the, the, the secrets around entrepreneurship, 10 steps to make your business successful. You know, one of the things that I take an approach into my uh, public life is simply this. And, and I shared this with, uh, with, with some gentlemen yesterday. I said, one thing that I learned in my early life when I was uh, 1995, when I was 29 years old and I ran for office, I figured out real quick that I had two options. And I always kept this uh, uh, close to my vest. It is extremely difficult to create good policy. You have to coordinate people. You have to find the language. You have to know what is it that you're addressing. And so it, it takes time. And, and even in the end, you may never achieve, you know, the success that you're hoping for, whatever, wherever you, you set that bar at. But I do know this, that it's a lot easier to get rid of bad ones. And so the capitalism in the market is exactly that. It will support very good uh, products, services that address their needs. And there are those that can uh, are very good at addressing and fulfilling and providing and delivering on people's wants. But I will guarantee 100% that the market will eliminate those that don't achieve that and they'll do it fairly quickly. What we saw in the pandemic is those that were not prepared, that were overwhelmed with their situation that was before then, had gotten so complacent. We had, I mean, how many times did we see businesses that had been established for generations and quickly folded within a month, if not sooner? For the reason is that they were, they were so stagnant, didn't keep it new, didn't keep it fresh. They couldn't adapt. They could not uh, handle the situation. And then we had businesses that actually opened. Have there's one in mind that's down in, a, in Odessa, young man. Uh, I remember he wind up contacting me through uh, social media and it was February of, uh, of 21. I had been elected and uh, in December 15 of 20. And it was simple message. Just basically want to sit there and say, congratulations. Uh, I opened my business in October 20 in the midst of the pandemic. 
And simply, I just wanted to congratulate on success. I hope that my business flourishes under your administration. And I cordially invite you to my restaurant. So one day after council, I was passing by. I remembered, got stopped, got off, asked for him. And uh, I was questioned. I said, who are you? <laughs> and so I, I just had to use my title, which I reluctantly always do. And we met. He said, you invited me. This is this is who I am. We had a conversation. Tell me about your plight. Told me his story. And uh, had a dream. He had a tax service. Wanted to open a restaurant. And so he did that in the midst of the pandemic. Him and his aunt. And was struggling. And so, uh, and so we just had a conversation, sat there and I prayed with him and I said, Hey, let's do this. I don't know if it'll help. I said, but I've got a few followers on my, on my social platform. Let's take a picture and let me just, you know, give you a plug. And so it was real simple. We did that. And, and, And I don't think... I know what I attribute to success today is, but simply just reaching out. Uh, we took a picture that that very next day he wound up getting calls. Um, he started getting, uh, you know, people started ordering food from Uber because remember this is, you know, this is February twenty one. We still have a mass mandate in place. We still had shutdown. We still had restrictions. He started receiving business. People started going. Simply, he said, hey, something, I've got to do something. He just didn't say snagging and just crossed his fingers, which I've got to implement a plan. I don't think he was purposely sitting there, hey, I'll call the mayor that, uh, you know, he's going to do this. I mean, he, he had no idea that that was going to help. I had no idea. I, I, know, I knew something. I knew this, that by plugging him, two more people were going to be aware of his business and maybe they would tell somebody else and they tell somebody else word of mouth is still a very profitable marketing uh, uh, strategy. And, and to this day, his problem now is he can't find enough help because the community supported him. And it was just, yes, yes. Um, I just talked to a a big box store. They're down 27 people. Uh, The turn rate is uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about, 13 to 20% turn rate every four months, every quarter. So it's really hard to keep a business moving forward if you're constantly having to spend the money, and it's money, that you have to train people within your organization. Uh, It used to be where I trained somebody or bring somebody in, I would take my best guy to train them. Um, And, you know, the whole cost of this back in the day was 2,500. The time that I had my good guy train them, all the paperwork I had to process through our system for insurance and healthcare and all that good stuff, um, time it was all done is around $2,500. And then a month later, they decided to quit and go somewhere else. Now, I don't really blame that person that came to me for a job. I blame myself, honestly, for how could I have made the experience for the employee better to where it was more of a uh, joint effort versus having to go somewhere else. Uh, Then we started this idea of finding out what made you leave. There's an exit program now in place. Uh, So we could find out what we could do to make things better to ensure that we got staff that we need. Um, And even that sometimes just doesn't work. It takes a lot of history, if you will, 
to gather that all up before you could figure out what the trend was. Um, so you're still hitting in the dark until you get the amount of data you need to make those decisions. That is true. The thing is, it's one of the things that small businesses, you know, I know government entities do this. We do master plans like razors. You know, Mark Mata, uh, you know, was a city councilman in District 1 in there in, a, in, a, in Odessa, Texas. He said, you know, one thing that I've learned about being in po a political office here in Odessa is there's no shortage of master plans. <laughs> and they're all sitting on the shelf collecting dust. You gather that data. <laughs> The data only works if you apply it. If it sits on the shelf, you know, you can gather data all single day, but you've got to understand what is it that you're looking for. You know, one of the things is, is that seldomly do you see companies and it is mandatory for them to have an exit plan. And so, you know, especially now with uh, COBRA, you know, COBRA insurance, you have to notify the employee that, you know, you have that, that right and that ability. And so this is something that, uh, you know, businesses, large and small, have to be able to sit there and say, you have to identify this. And you're absolutely right. You know, what made that employee leave? It is critical information that you need because, of, you know, the thing is, is that if you're having an ability, uh, an innate ability not to be able to attract employees or keep employees, okay, you have to do a an inventory of okay what are we doing because it, it it could be them but most cases it's something within your organization it could be an individual it could be a supervisor it could be inflexible uh, uh you know scheduling but you're not gonna know until uh you start making that assessment start gathering that data and the thing is you can't be successful if you're required to have a staff to be able to do uh, you know ha deliver your goods and so uh, it, it, it goes back to having a good team. And so you constantly, personal is going to be constant, constant situation. You know, as mayor, and I, and I deal with the city of Odessa, when you look within our police department, lot of, uh, of, uh, of openings, you know, this morning I was really pleased to sit there and, and see that we had three traffic stops and we said, well, and it's not, it's not about revenue <laughs> and Arizona, you know, you, you know, there's a quota, there's no such thing as those. It's, it's, it's not, and it's not about revenue. It's not about context. It's about enforcement. One of the things that we constantly hear, and I know I view it, how many times we see bad driver habits. And the reason why we have those bad driver habits are for the reason is that we don't see a heavy presence of traffic enforcement, even within your community. How do I become very self-aware that that actually occurs? Because I saw it in a, a, a community of 7 million where you saw, not just felt, you visibly saw the security presence within that community. Their lights were always blaring. But the thing is, they do not have a personnel shortage. We is something that we face at every company within West Texas and this nation, you know, because we have the big resign and we have, you know, the, you know, you can call it whatever it is, but we have a lot of people that are not, did not come back to the workforce. <laughs> and are finding ways, hey, working a hybrid type of schedule is not that bad. Uh, for some companies it works and for some companies it does not. But, you know, it, it, this is very critical in, in when you're addressing, you know, there's a company that I consulted with one time and you know, I was contracting with them and they were having this issue about they couldn't get the, the, uh, the employees to sit there and say, 
that they were getting value for what they were doing. And I said, have you tried this? And, and, and I said, look, let, let me make a suggestion. I mean, it's unsolicited. You can kick me to the curb if you, if you don't want, if you, if, if you don't, you know, if you don't take the advice, I'm not telling you to do it. I said, but let me, let me look at, let me tell you this. I said, every employee here, all they care about, and they don't even understand what their gross or net uh, payout on their paycheck is. Okay. And so all they care about is that net. When they see those benefits, they don't see what the cost from their medical insurance is because they're only paying a portion. So when they see all, they don't know what FICA is. They don't, they don't know any of that. So part of your presentation, your annual presentation to employees, when it comes down to pay, when it comes down to insurance, when you do all that, I said, why don't you break down and show the ratio of the employee commitment to their insurance and the employer uh, a contribution? And break all those down like you're doing it in the PL. He goes, and so the thing is, you total all those up and then you round it off with their with their uh, 40 hours, and then you break that down that that is their weekly, monthly, and annual salary. He goes, now they wanna you wanna talk about raises. He says, okay. Well, we ha then what you do is you put in a column that when you put overall revenues for the company on a monthly annual basis based on what they paid out for their for their services and labor, in order for them to be at a higher wage, you have to give them that ratio of how much the profit margin has to grow in order for them to achieve that. Do it in a simple basis. Let them realize this is how it operates and it's their responsibility that they're the ones are in control of the narrative, how much they get paid because they have to produce more revenue on the back end profit for the company. Once they started doing that, their, their, their turnover went, went down and their productivity went up. I love that idea because really what you're creating there is buy-in. Uh, we're sharing the, the responsibilities and accountability, if you will, to how we are being uh, more successful within our business place and more importantly, more successful in our marketplace. So those kind of things I wish would happen more often uh, that you create the, uh, the relationship such as that and then you create the buy end and the respect of what you're trying to do as uh, not only an owner, but what you're trying to do for your employees. Well, and the thing is, is that they did listen to, they started applying it, they started using it. But the thing is on the back end, they never did apply a good collection system. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the thing is, is that I remember, I remember hearing about it and I, I know some people lost their jobs over, over it in, in account managers. But I really didn't believe it was the account manager's uh, uh, fault for the reason is that it wasn't, it was never in their job description to be able to do the collection. They weren't aware. Now, what they did fail to do is they did fail to do the billing. You know, when you don't bill, you don't get paid. But when you have $11 million out there on the street and you basically was going to be uncollectible, I was pretty hot about that. And 
somebody said, what does it matter to you? I said, how, do, how long do you think that this company is going to be able to withstand, regardless of how many generations it's been here, if it continually annually runs with a uh, uh, payables that is basically not collectible in the millions? Negative cash flow. Negative cash flow. And so, and they said, well, I never thought about it. Look at it that way. I said, well, of course you don't, because... You, you know, you have a mentality, you just punch the clock. You have to take an owner's uh, responsibility. And so, because we had contractors that basically would always say this, hey, Javier, how do, how do I get to the point where I can continue to maintaining, operating, and getting contracted by this company? I said, it's real simple. What do you bring into the table? He goes, what do you mean? I said, okay, let, let, let me give you this analogy. One, one of the things that our, our company, we do a lot of, uh, of prisons, state and federal. And so when you walk into those prisons, you clearly see that the inmates, those are invoices. Okay. And so you got to keep those, that money coming in. And so you're going to provide them with services. And so that's why the cost of an inmate goes up. Because it's not your shelter and you're feeding three times a day. Clothing, you're doing maintenance and entertainment, and you're providing services of education, counseling services. When you break all that cost into it inmate, then you come up with a daily rate. This is what we pay for. Now, what is a bill? Is those the facility? Those are cost, the electricity, the water, the property it's on, the food and all those things, those are all cost. So the thing is, is that what's gonna happen when you wind up having like those that are supervised, those inmates, they have to pay for their own pistol bells, have to pay for all this, 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 and this, because these guys are bills. And these guys are the one, this is the revenue generator. Okay, and that's how it works. Because in the end, incarceration, there's money to be made. And the more services you provide, the more you can bill out. It goes back into, you know, even within our school system and in our hospitals. If you look at hospitals now, they used to be, and, and let me tell you, I'm even using an archaic word, hospitals. Now they're medical services. From the moment you get checked in, you're being sold products. A Kleenex, you know, why do you think that an aspirin is $325? These are services that are constantly being paid because you're billing your insurance. And indigent care, Medicare, Medicaid, once you've maxed out the billing, you're out the door. It's a crude way of looking at it, but the thing is you have to look at it from a business standpoint. Because in the end, what does it cost to operate, whether it's a private or public hospital? They're extremely expensive, millions of dollars per day. And so once you start seeing and, and seeing uh, the world through that type of prison, prism, then basically is it starts making sense in your world of how small or how big you want to make it. It's a practical, uh, it, it, it's a practical view and approach to business that surrounds you every single day. I mean, there, there, there are communities all working side by side, but they're all interconnected. It's 
constantly, everything you see, you see those vehicles going back and forth, that's a business. And every product that's in there is not created by one company. It's assembled by one, but it all has to be different components to come together. And then the operation. So it, I, mean, I can go on and on about putting up no, these analogies. I, I think you're right. And that's uh, that's the reason why we preach so hard on that, our clients and our students come through our accelerator about putting together a business model, right? A working business model to where you have all these moving parts, right? All these moving parts come the together. The core you have process. Your cost side, right? That's what we call it, the core process of the right. business. Right. You, know, you have your cost side and you have your <clears> revenue <throat> side. Now you break that down. You get granule with it. And so what what are your costs and why are your costs and what are your costs producing to, to provide value that you have as a business to your customer, mm-hmm. right? Who's going to bring in your revenue, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's, a, it's a cycle that connects, right? So how best do you connect that cycle together? You know, so once you implement one, well, it's constantly trying to see how you can improve it. How can you improve that? Right. Uh, do you uh, switch out suppliers? Right. Are you, are you looking for a supplier who's going to give you a better deal with a higher quality? Then that means your margins are, you know, you can keep your price the same and you're making better margins. Right. Taking care of your employees, you know, because they so they can take care of you. Right. It's a it's a it's a development of the cost structure. Yeah. You know, what does it involve for us to operate? And who's in, who's in, in that segment of operation uh, as far as what's adding to the most of the resources and the, in the company activities? You know, there's another thing that we actually look at a lot is key partners. Uh, key partners are also a main vein to a company in the heartbeat of that company. You were talking earlier, it's really hard to find partnerships and keep them. Um, and that's really true because in key partners, they, are, they could be suppliers, they could be attorneys, they could be anything that adds to the value proposition. Um, but here's the thing that I often say is, you know, you could be a dog walker and the dog walker comes in and talks to us and says, man, I want to grow my company, but I'm tired of walking. I can only walk so many dogs. Well, who's your key partners? Uh, typically, those key partners can add to the value and can add to the bottom line of the revenue streams. So in this particular example, you can say, well, you know, I need a key partner for dog collars. I need a key partner maybe for a special dog food. I need a key partner for maybe dog beds. Uh, and what you're doing, you're not only walking the dog, but you're adding value to in, increase the revenue streams. So maybe you don't have to walk as many dogs and still encapsulate that growth. Well, that's true. I mean, what, you know, as we're talking about and we're talking about all these components, I started thinking about an, uh, uh, a value assessment that I made when I moved back from uh, uh, South Central Texas uh, back to uh, West Texas in 2008. And I went out to a restaurant and uh, went to a local eatery and bought a simple bean burrito. And it's my bean burrito analogy. And I realized, I said, good Lord, how did this bean burrito, you know, cost two eighty nine now? It's still good. Yeah, it, it's still good. But, you know, it's, it's, you look at the components of flour tortilla, beans. I mean, and I, I'm not even talking cheese, but let's say let's throw cheese on there. Now it's two ninety nine. You know, and, and let me tell you, I'm probably even talking, uh, I'm, I'm probably probably talking about prices and maybe about five or six years ago because, you know, it, it's way more than that now. So the thing is, is that you have material product delivery, but what's the most expensive ingredient in that? The labor. It's the labor cost. Hands down. Yeah. 
you know, and so in, in it gives an analogy right in here of when 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 you introduce an unnatural artificial uh, you know ingredient to the formula that is capitalism. And this is exactly what, you know, you, if you're in small business, you're a capitalist. The thing is, you have to decide what type of capitalism are you going to uh, basically be part of, ethical or unethical. Because, you know, we have those two components in this in this free market. And, and, and so, so when you introduce a foreign object and it throws the balance off, when you force small businesses to basically sit there and say, this is what you're going to pay your, your, uh, your employee base. Those costs are going to be put on the product. Mm-hmm. Now what's going to happen is at one point or another, people, the, the, the market will find a way of what is the, the land, the, the, the line in the sand. And we found that out with the gas prices. So when you introduce, when you have government and sit there and say, hey, you're going to now pay uh, this much for your employees, then something's got to give. We found out that $5 gas, you know, in, in, in the most populated area in the country, which is in the Continental Divide, in the Mississippi Valley, that that people were still driving, but the numbers of vehicles on the road went down. And so you're seeing two things. You're seeing uh, a reduction in, in driving and consumption, and that's why you wind up seeing that price slowly come back down. And so that's one. The other one in the component that goes back to the burrito deal is that as when you go out to all these fast food and, and everywhere you're eating, you know, the thing is, is that you're not paying an increased price on the product and the, what you're consuming. It's the delivery system. It's the human component of it is what keeps making those prices go up for the reason is that, you know, the standard, you know, the, the, the basic necessities of, you know, uh, sheltering yourself and providing for uh, electricity and water and gas, they all go up. And so, you know, you're seeing the markets constantly fluctuate. This all affects you. You have to be aware. You can sit there and say, hey, I, I'm not going to look at this. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look at this. You have to be aware because sometimes you you have you have things that are uh, affecting your business. You could be doing everything right. You're delivering it. You're giving the advertisement. He goes, what is happening? What well, could be artificial things that are being in, in, interjected that's affecting you? And you just don't realize it. You constantly be have to have on your, your head on a swivel. And you have to constantly be aware of your surroundings and sit there and say, okay, you know, this is why you wear so many hats. You know, it's like the weatherman. You also have to be able to be a good predictor. I said, but let me tell you, if your percentages are failing, you know, like a weatherman, you know, he he can be 50 percent wrong most of the time, still keep his job. Well, you can't do that in small business. Right. You can't do that. It's like the rain. You know, my wife says, hey, you might get rain today. It's 20 percent. That means there's 80 percent. It won't happen. So you, you sometimes have to think outside the box, even with the percentages and finding out really where are you within your market scheme? Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I, I want to just kind of round this over and, and kind of head toward uh, a final word. I, I'd really like to have, find out uh, from, you, from you, Mr. Mayor, um, what is uh, 
What's a, a good note to leave on for small businesses? Well, after all the gloom and doom that we put out here in this little podcast, let's 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 uh, and I say that jokingly. One of the things is, is this is that, first of all, congratulations. Congratulations for taking that first step of controlling the narrative, not only for yourself, but those that you uh that you love because the reason is that I know that not only doing it yourself, you're doing it because you want to be able to provide uh, a future and, and, and God willing that you'll be able to be able to create some type of uh, generational wealth that will endure the test of time. And so, and in doing so, I always say this is that apply ethic principles to your capitalism because in the end, it'll serve you best. Uh, people will respond to someone who is ethical and stands be, be behind their product be, and stands behind their service. And you're able easily to do that if you're doing it in your personal life. You know, the thing is, is that there are thousands and thousands of uh, leadership and uh, books out there. And oftentimes what we don't do is we don't go and we don't subscribe to the best and the greatest author there is. And that is uh, in, in my response is, is, is God. That's I go to the Bible and that's where I find my ethical uh, leadership. That's where I found my ethical uh, capitalism. And I apply what I know from there to be the truth to every aspect in my life, whether it's personal or whether it's business. And it has served me very, very well to up to this point. When I sit there and say, when you're in this journey of life, you're not alone. And, and I know that I'm never alone. And so this is where I find my inspiration. I find myself to get through anything that I face. And it, 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 it gets me through every storm. You know, when the, when, when the boat is rocking and the waves are, 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 are smashing up against the boat, I'll still be able to step out of that boat because I know the waters will be calmed. And let me tell you, one, that's one thing that's very, very important. It's something that's enduring here in West Texas. I have oftentimes have had people come in from around this country and outside this country to visit West Texas and to sit there. And I, and I tell them, I said, welcome. I said, um, I said, well, thank you. Welcome from Odessa. I said, I only not only welcome to Odessa, I'm, wel I'm welcome you to America. I said, because this is the last vestiges of what, you know, this this country is meant to be. And so in that note, I congratulate you. I wish you luck. I, you know, and, and I, you know, give you blessings on your endeavor. And I hope that the heavens uh, open up and nothing but uh, success reigns on you from here on out and that you go and pay that forward to others. I couldn't say that. I couldn't even get close to that. No, I was, I was um, awesome. I, I really do appreciate our time with you today. Uh, sure. And more importantly, I appreciate you taking the time out for us um, and our listeners. And uh, given your little bit of a background that you have in business, um, where you are today, uh, and, and the wonderful suggestions to uh, a lot of small businesses. So uh, 
Mayor, I can only tell you, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. For sure. Thank you very much, Javier. Uh, we enjoyed having you. Great talk. And again, back to you. Congrats on where you're at and your future endeavors and look forward to seeing uh, how that comes out. Well, me too. You know, <laughs> stay tuned. We'll see how, it's, how it all turns it's out. It's a fun ride. Huh? It, 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 it is incredible. I'm I'm having the time of my life. That's awesome. I'm 57. And let me tell you, uh, you know, <laughs> life just started. There yeah. you go. Yeah. There you go. Bam. Bam. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and man, we look forward to uh, doing this again sometime. Hey, anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much.